Good morning, Conduit. How are you? Hear me okay? Hear me in the back there? No? Chris, can you hear me? How about now? Better? All right. Well, uh, yeah, having, having interns is a, um, is a blessing for sure. Now, we need to uh, think of it, you know, it's always important that we connect things with our, with our mission here, um, with the vision, certainly with our code, which are our core values. And one of our core values, of course, is to make disciples, right? That we have, we have one job, and that's to make disciples. Um, part of making disciples is developing disciples, right? And probably um, one of the, the most um, effective way to make disciples is to um, make disciples who make disciples. You know what I'm saying? So we develop leaders that then go out and develop more leaders. And so you make disciples who in turn make disciples. And so we're, we're grateful to have a small, and just a small role in that, in those, um, in those five ladies that you saw up front in their, in their lives. Certainly we don't, um, we don't profess, I, I, Pastor Corey knows it all, but I don't, right? Um, and uh, just from a leadership standpoint, you know, we don't, we don't prof- profess to be able to give um, these ladies everything that we, everything that they're going to need for leadership. But we know that the collective uh, body here and by the grace of God um, will be able to uh, bless them into their, into their next calling and their next leadership. I mean... Yeah, I, I do think it's going to be a summer of, like, painting nails and talking about boys, but, uh, um, but uh, hey, whatever, I'll get there. So, um, uh, we, uh, we're in a, our series on uh, a series called Not Today, Satan. Uh, if you've been with us here for uh, the last... The last several weeks, last couple months, actually. Um, not today, Satan. Staking a claim. Staking a claim uh, in the name of Jesus for the critical areas of our lives where Satan seeks only destruction uh, and, where, and where we seek to stand firm on the foundation of Jesus Christ as our cornerstone, the one who uh, will solidify all things for us. And so we're saying not today, Satan, not my home can't have my home, right? You can't have my kids. Not today, Satan. Not my friends. Not today, Satan. Not my today, yesterday, or last week, today, and next week. Not my marriage. You can't have my marriage. Um, last week, we introduced this idea that uh, God's number one desire for your marriage is not necessarily the things that we usually talk about or even the things that you hear spoken of at weddings. Things like, well, um, you know, God's number one, uh, God's number one desire or, or purpose for your marriage is love. Well, okay, uh, I get it, but I also love tacos, so it can't possibly be the same thing, right? Um, so, uh, but, but we talked about how last week, how God's, God's number one purpose, God's number one desire for marriage is the goal of oneness. That, that husband and wife would be one. Oneness is like knowing the other person like you know yourself. And if you're going to put some adjectives behind it, it would be um, like saying, I, I love my wife as I in the same manner and oftentimes even way beyond the way or the measure in which I love myself. Or I treat my wife as if I'm treating myself. I serve my spouse as if I would want to be served. And certainly that even is a, a, very, a very simplified version and understanding of it. But we talked about how oneness 
is rooted not in some even cultural idea of what it means to be married, but that oneness is rooted in uh, the very nature of God himself. That, that Jesus proclaimed all throughout the Gospel of John that, that he and the Father are one. That they're not, they're not doing their own things, they're not on their own separate paths, they don't have their own separate plans, but that, that the Father and the Son are one. Jesus declares that several times in the Gospel of John. Oneness also, we saw, is rooted in creation. Specifically, it's rooted in the way that God created the relationship between husband and wife or man and woman. From Genesis chapter 2, we saw that out of Adam, from the, literally from the side of or coming out of Adam, Eve was created. And it says the, the, two, the two flesh are actually one. That there's this there's this, there's, I'll be bold enough to say that, it, that there's some mystery, some spiritual mystery that in the way that God sees husband and wife, in the way that God takes the individual people and when they, when they commit themselves to one another and when they are joined together by flesh, they, they no longer are two individuals, but they now serve as as one we looked in uh in the book of genesis in uh chapter two and we saw um the kind of the the summa cum laude of oneness statements in creation uh and that's when uh scripture says in chapter two verse 25 of uh, the book of genesis the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame that there was a, a complete and utter vulnerability that both of them had. That there, there's, no other, there's no other vulnerable position that a person can be in than completely naked before another person. right? And it was, it was in that absolute vulnerability that they had with one another that the scripture says they felt no shame. They were... 100% safe with each other. There was no secret shared in between. There was no secret in between them that was that was serving as an as an obstacle, or maybe not even a obstacle, but but maybe just like a fog, right? Because sometimes the the obstacle to oneness is not something like that's hard or high or wide or deep. Something that you can't get over or can't get around. Sometimes the obstacle to oneness is a little less identifiable and serves as just like a, that fog early in the morning where you can kind of see the way forward, but you're a little confused on how to get there. And the road is dangerous, and it's not exactly very clear. Last week we talked um, about how very, um, in a manner of speaking, if oneness is linked ultimately with complete vulnerability and no shame, that one of the, one of the key enemies of oneness in a marriage is secrecy. When there are, when there, when there are uh, any, any secrets that one person is holding or another person is holding or that both are holding or that there is a, a secret that is not being shared. It strikes at the very heart of what oneness is, uh, a nakedness and vulnerability in front of the other person where, where they, they don't know, they can't see everything that I am. They can't see everything that I, that I have. If you, want to, if you want to destroy oneness in your marriage, if you, if you want to torpedo God's best for you and your spouse, keep a secret. Hide things. 
Don't allow yourself to be vulnerable and open. Emotionally, physically, spiritually. Now, uh, I shared a little bit of this last week, but I feel like um, it's so incredibly important to to dive this dive into this again this week um, because of like how we how we talked about how how, how marriage is um, is messy, right? Oh, easy easy to stand up. And easy to stand up front and say marriage is this, and marriage is this, and marriage is this, and marriage is this. Good luck, right? Uh, because we live in a in a in a fallen world, in a broken world, stained by the presence of sin, stained by my own sin, right? Stained by your own sin, and, and marriages um, marriages are broken, and families are broken, and and. People are are broken and there's a lot of brokenness in the you know, when when you talk about marriage and so you can you can even talk about what God's best is for someone or someones and have it not be a point of joy but have it be a point of pain right I don't have that I want that I had it but I don't have it anymore I've never experienced that marriage has only ever been painful I don't even know what marriage is. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I can't even perceive what that type of oneness would look like. What it would do for me or for my spouse. Or... And I understand that. I understand that when we, when we talk about marriage or things like it, that we are, we are literally handling sacred things. Like the... Like the uh, like the china cabinet cabinet at your grandma's house. If you're going to take something out, you better be careful with it, right? And and we want to be want to be we want to be careful with it, right? We want to be careful with marriage when we talk about it here. We also I also want to be truthful, right? But I I want to be so sensitive to it and I please know my heart that my my desire at every turn with every word with every point is to be absolutely sensitive to the very real brokenness that sometimes surrounds marriage, the marriage relationship, being married, not being married, wanting to be married, being divorced, everything and all and everything that includes those things. But you see, here's, here's, here's the beauty of this, is that we can talk about the beauty of marriage and the brokenness of marriage, but what trumps all things, right, trumps all things is that Jesus changes everything that 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 the gospel changes everything and that the beauty of the gospel is that the way that you start something is not necessarily the way that you have to finish something in fact in fact God makes it his business he is in the business he is the he is the CEO of the redemption business he is the he, he is the, that's, that's what he is about. And if you've been living with, in your marriage with, with secrecy, if you've, been, if you've been living with zero vulnerability to your spouse, if you've been living with shame, you don't have to live like that any longer. The way you start your marriage doesn't have to be the way your marriage is today. And the way your marriage is today doesn't have to be the way that your marriage is tomorrow or 20 years from now. Who you are right now, who you are in this very moment, who you have been in the past, the gospel says doesn't have to be the way it is all the time, forever and ever. Jesus is everything and the gospel changes it all. And that includes your marriage. That includes your relationship with your spouse. That includes your your um, hurt and broken even perspective on marriage. I don't want to be married. I'm saying if that's your feeling. I want to be married. I love my wife very much. <laughs> See, what I know is that you can experience oneness 
in your marriage no matter how long you've lived without it. I truly believe that. The road to oneness might be a little narrow. The road to, to oneness, especially if you've been living without it, may get a little rocky, right? May be difficult to travel. The gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. And you can get there. And God will help you. God will bring healing and restoration to your home. That's a part, that's the, the part of our, that's the, the main part of our vision. That, that, that God would bring healing, wholeness, and redemption to our homes, to our churches, to our cities. And that includes your home, and that includes your marriage. And so please understand that um, my desire and my purpose this morning is not to unnecessarily drudge up pain that you've experienced. But I hope that you can hear through the power of the Holy Spirit about the beautiful and gentle grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ that can heal every broken part of your life, including your marriage. We talked a little bit, and so far this has all been review. I hope if you were here last week, you'll know that this has all been review so far, but I think it's important that we get here um, before we do anything else. If God's purpose, if God's best for the relationship between husband and wife is oneness, Complete vulnerability, zero secrecy, no shame. If God's goal is oneness, then Satan's goal is division. If God's goal is oneness, Satan's goal is division. Um, we talked a little bit, we previewed last week about the um, the... The contemporary, not the contemporary, the long-used historical war strategy of divide and conquer. Leaders and nations have used it for generations to help defeat enemies. About, about doing little things here and there on the battlefield or um, with, with the leaders of the opposite side in order to before the war has even started, begin to split apart the strength of a unified body, right? And, 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 and God's plan and purpose for your marriage is completeness and unification and, and togetherness. And, and Satan's plan is to do, to do nothing but break that apart. Get them, get them separated from each other because, because the parts are are the individual parts are way weaker than the whole. And so uh, Satan uses a strategy called divide and conquer. Um, but here's the thing. Satan is not content merely with dividing you and your spouse. You understand this. He's not content with simply getting some space in between you two. Satan doesn't just want to divide you. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants it to be over. He wants your, he wants your idea, your, your thoughts, your, your heart, your view, and your understanding of marriage and all things marriage to be completely 100% dead, destroyed, have nothing to do with what God with how God views marriage. But 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, um, speaks, of, speaks of Satan in, in this way. Listen, he doesn't just want division, he wants to destroy your marriage. All right? Be self-controlled and alert. Listen, don't sleep on him. All right? 
Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. A little bit of space in between you and your spouse, right? Prowling around. Be, be alert. Be aware. This is happening. Of course, Jesus described um, the difference between he and Satan in John chapter 10, verse 10, where he calls Satan a thief. And this thief does not come just to steal, right? But he comes also to kill and destroy. Jesus says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Oneness in your marriage is fullness of marriage. Satan's desire is to do nothing but steal away from it, kill it, and destroy it. Jesus um, describes Satan as a... um, as the chief of all liars. We're going to get into this a little bit when we talk about how one of the strategies of divide and conquer is to foster distrust between the alliances. Any way that, that distrust could be fostered. Uh, and Jesus speaks of Satan like this in John chapter 8, verse 44. He says uh, that Satan was a, um, he says he was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, listen, this is, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. You know, how, you know how to tell when Satan is lying? When he's talking. <laughs> Satan has nothing good for your marriage. And you might not see a little red devil sitting on one shoulder and a little white angel sitting on the other shoulder, but be alert. Be aware. Know this. Satan is actively trying to destroy everything that God wants to build in your marriage. Satan is actively trying to destroy everything that God wants for you. And if that means that he has to destroy you in the process, he will do that. Why? Because just like my children... And my wife are the most precious things on this earth to me, right? If you want to destroy, if you want to attack me, you just, just leave me alone, right? Go after my wife and kids, right? Because that's what really gets my blood boiling. And Satan is no different, right? He wants to destroy everything that is of God. And, we, and because he can't destroy everything that is of God... He destroys the things that are nearest to the heart of God. The oneness that he created between us. Strategy number one of divide and conquer is to create and encourage division. Create and encourage division. So um, when, a, when a general looks at an enemy force and looks at the, the vast array of, of uh, resources and, and people and machinery and equipment that stands against them, like, wow, if we are, face, if we are forced to face that entire, um, that entire crew all at the same time, there might be not any way that we could possibly win. So really what we have to do is we gotta, we got to split them up into individual parts. And when they are separate from each other, they can't draw on each other's strengths. They can't draw on each other's resources. They'll be 
far away from the encouragement and support that is necessary for them to win this fight. So if we can just get them separated, then we have a much, much better chance at, at winning. And so, um, and so division is both created and, listen, this is the most important part, encouraged. Division oftentimes comes very naturally when you're living with a person every single day, right? Small things, right? Uh, married couples, this probably doesn't happen to you, right? But it's happened in my marriage before where something seemingly so small and insignificant is no longer very small and insignificant, Right? Where, where, well, this is not really that big a deal, is it? But somehow, some way, the smallness of the division, even the smallness of the disagreement, um, seems to become very big very quickly. I know it doesn't happen to you, right? Happens in my house sometimes, okay? Um, and, uh, and so it doesn't take something big and huge for division to begin to occur because any chink or crack in the armor is used to encourage and, and kind of uh, like foment this budding, like stewing. Well, it's a small thing, so I'm not going to mention it. I'm just going to shove it deep down into my soul and wait for a thousand small things to come bursting forth like I put a mento in a bottle of cola, right? <laughs> right? And Satan's just up on, Satan, Satan's just down there in the kitchen, right? Stir in the pot, stir in the pot, stir in the pot, death by a thousand paper cuts, right? Creating and encouraging division until before you know it, what, was, what could have been small to begin with is now a huge and giant thing. And you know what Satan does? I find this. Satan leverages each and every one of our desires not to lose. I'm not losing this. I am right. This is not a big deal, and I will not sacrifice and I will not back down, and I will not surrender, and I will not relent. It is my house. I am a grown man, and if I want to leave the toilet seat up, I will leave the toilet seat up. And if it means I'll sleep on the couch and won't have dinner, by all means, I will not lose this battle. We've never had that argument, by the way. But... <laughs> and you know, what, you know what Satan does? Satan leverages each and every one of our pride, because none of us wants to say, none of us is naturally inclined to say, you know what, I was wrong. None of us is naturally inclined to admit how wrong we were. Go back to the very, go back to the very beginning, right? And, and Eve ate the apple, right? Ate the fruit. Actually, it probably wasn't a fruit. It was an egg salad sandwich, all right? That is the forbidden fruit, egg salad, okay? Um, and, or a pickle. Um, and, 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 and the Lord comes, comes to find them. And, and he says, well, what? This is so interesting. Their nakedness was covered, right? They made garments for themselves. Why? Right, because um, there was... There was no longer um, the ability for them to be naked with each other and not be ashamed. Shame had come into their marriage. Shame had come into their relationship because sin was evident there, right? And so God comes into um, the garden. Where are you? What have you done? Uh, Eve, did you eat of the tree? Um, and, uh, and what is she? Or, or no, he goes to Adam, right? Goes to Adam. What have you done? You ate of the uh, she made me do it. Mm, I ain't losing this. 
Eve do? Oh, yeah, naturally inclined to it wrong, and I've done something wrong. The serpent did it. Serpent made Right? None of us are naturally inclined. I was wrong. My mistake. Forgive me. I'm asking the Lord to change my heart. We're not naturally inclined to do that. And so what does Satan do? He leverages that natural, uh, that, that natural inclination against one another. So we're, all, so we're like this in moments of division. And he encourages that. And he builds into that. And he, and he pours gasoline onto that fire. But listen, here's what I want. Here's what I want. One, be aware of it. Okay? But two, we, got, we do need to make the distinction here between division and disagreement okay because it's not necessarily ungodly to say to have a disagreement about something oh satan is like we're being divided right now because we're arguing about whether the toilet seat is up or whether i can put my socks in the hair or not right there is a definitive difference between what a what a division is and what a disagreement is in your marriage look listen Division, you want to know when you're, being, when you're being divided from your spouse, even in small amounts, division is when you are, you are so intent not to lose, no matter how small the circumstances, that you walk away. You walk away emotionally, you walk away mentally, you walk away spiritually sometimes you walk away physically and you refuse to walk through a small disagreement in christ-like character staying at the table being literally one in this moment with your spouse see the difference there is that a disagreement is when you are able to stay engaged with your spouse because the person matters more than the issue right but division is when we're we're so unwilling to consider the person that we we disconnect ourselves emotionally mentally spiritually physically and we go a different direction Disagreement, you stay at the table. Division, you're walking away. Number two, um, the number two, well, so I guess the, the application to that is don't disengage. Do not disengage. Do not disconnect yourself emotionally. Do not disconnect yourself spiritually. Do not, do not disconnect yourself mentally. Do not disconnect yourself physically from your spouse. Sex is not a tool or a weapon. Do not disconnect. Stay engaged. Stay at the table. Make sure it remains a disagreement and not a division. I know it's a disagreement when my chief like concern is the well-being the soul the the emotion the attitude of my spouse not about winning the argument it's about the person not about being right or wrong it's about the person not about not about not about coming on top it's about the relationship okay second um strategy and divide and conquer is aiding and promoting those who could break up any alliances. Jesus, take the wheel on this one. Okay? Um, I've been a pastor for a long time. Seems like a long time. I have the gray hair to prove it. Okay? Um, that was supposed to be, you're supposed to laugh. That wasn't because ah, you don't have the gray hair to prove it. Um, okay, well, hello, is this on still or um, 
I've been a pastor for 14 years now, uh, 13 years, and um, and I I want to say that I've I've seen my fair share of marriages that have been in trouble. Um, this is like right up there towards the top of the reasons. Lots of reasons. This is right up there. Okay? Aiding and promoting those who could break up any alliances. The enemy uh, will recruit unwitting participants in his battle to destroy your marriage. Even godly people get recruited in the war to destroy your marriage. Because the Satan's not, he doesn't care what it takes. He doesn't care who it is. He doesn't care what kind of fallout happens. All he cares about is that everything that God loves is destroyed. So he's going he's gonna to aid and promote and encourage anyone who could cause division. Now, there's lots of ways that this happens. Lots of ways. Um, I think ask yourself this question in regards to your marriage. Are there people or is there a person who is a consistent source of tension and stress between you and your spouse. A person or people that are a consistent source of stress, tension, or disagreement between you and your spouse. Now, listen, I'm not talking just about someone who, um, I'm, I'm not talking about like a, uh, like a, an adulterous relationship, although I am including that, right? But, but listen, but sometimes your family is used by the enemy to destroy your marriage. Sometimes your friends is used by the enemy to destroy your marriage. Sometimes your co-workers is used by the enemy to destroy your marriage. You know, there's these, all of these kind of categories of people that, that, that can occur to, for, for this to happen. All, all kinds of different people that God, or that, that Satan uses to destroy, to aid in the destruction of your marriage. It can be, it can be a complete stranger, right? A complete stranger. Someone that you, that is not necessary, literally not necessary for you to have relationship with them in any way, shape, or form, right? There's just, if, if you never saw them again, if you never talked to them again, if they were never in your life again, you would not, it would not, it wouldn't, wouldn't be a speed bump of a transition for you, right? Stranger in some way, shape, or form, right? Uh, the answer in a situation like that is you better, you better be taking an axe root of that relationship like pronto, like right, right now in this very moment, because if you don't, if you allow that relationship to remain in any way, shape, or form, as far as it depends upon you, cut that thing down and burn it in fire because it has nothing but bad intentions for you. But sometimes it's not, it's not that easy, right? Because sometimes it's a person that you have to see every day, like a coworker, Right? Someone you work next to or around, a neighbor, like that. Now, don't get me wrong. If the nature of the relationship is divisive enough and, the, and you can literally smell the hot steaming breath of the lion that wants to destroy you right there, sometimes it is necessary to take drastic measures to protect yourself and your wife and your husband and your family. And sometimes that might mean, yes, I'm going to pick up my whole house and I'm going to move, right? Yes, I will quit my job if that is what it takes. 
I will go through extreme measures to remove myself from the environment of danger. I will not today, Satan. But sometimes it's even less easy than that. Right? Because sometimes, because sometimes the person is um, your family. Sometimes the person is your mom. Sometimes the person is your dad. Sometimes the person is your kid. Right? And it's not necessarily a very um, easy thing. Not necessarily a very easy thing to create boundaries that are healthy for you and your family. I will go so far as to say this, and this may be a little, maybe a little bit controversial depending on your viewpoint, but when it comes to your marriage, um, the, the feelings of the person that Satan is using to divide your marriage do not matter. Does not matter. I don't, I can't really set up good bound, like healthy boundaries with them because if I, if I tell them, look, we're just not going to spend any more time together. Like, I'm, you're, you're like, you, you only speak poorly about my spouse. You don't like them. It creates division between me and, uh, and my family. Like, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to be around you anymore. I'm sorry. Like, changes, like we can reevaluate of like time we spent together but as long as you're like actively creating division between my house and I like sorry you gotta go well that's really gonna hurt their feelings does not matter being nice is not a virtue being nice is not a fruit of the spirit the oneness of your marriage is more important Absolutely, 100%, every day of the week, I will make no, no apologies for that. Their feelings do not matter. See, Scripture describes, especially in regards to our family of origin, right? Both in Genesis chapter 2, Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 6, Jesus affirms this. That in the oneness of husband and wife, right, what actually happens is that the husband and the wife, the man and the woman, they, um, they cleave, they're cleaved from their family. You know what that means? You ever seen a cleaver? It does one thing, right? It chops things apart, right? And both the, the spiritual and mental, emotional attachment that a husband or a man or a woman has with their family of origin, when they become one with their spouse, those, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Those alliances there, that, um, that connection, right, becomes like not even a distant second to the relationship to the spouse. Not even, it's like not even in the same, in the same ballpark. We are, we are one with our spouses, the scripture says. We are, we are one. The two have become one. Someone doesn't like your spouse. Someone only speaks poorly about your spouse. Every time you're around them, it seems like you get angry at your spouse. Like, well, yeah, you're right. They did say that, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you remember when they said this? when they did this and can you believe he's like that if you got a person like that in your life i don't care if it's the woman that gave birth to you right kick her out the door you don't need her maybe that's a little harsh <laughs> but like i'm so serious like all right but here's all here's the one that you're all thinking about right you're thinking, about, you're thinking about the person 
that, that who is like, when we think about people who break up our marriage, we don't like to think about our families. We don't like to think about our kids. We don't like to think about coworkers. What we tend to think about is like the moments where um, we, are, we are tempted into an adulterous affair with someone else. And that'll break it up quick. That'll break up a marriage quick. All right? And for different people, the, the pull towards that is different. All right? Sometimes it's almost purely emotional. Right? There's an emotional vacuum in your marriage. Someone shows you some attention. Right? Says a few nice things about you. There's excitement there. They take interest in your interests. They're easy to talk to. And all of a sudden, there's this bonding that happens. And, and here's what I'm saying. is like the more emotionally close you get to someone of the opposite sex that is not your spouse, the closer that you get to crossing the line physically with them. And that's not even to say... That's not, that's not even to put a, a value judgment yet on the, on the rightness or the wrongness of the emotional connection, which is, which is oftentimes not any more healthy for you or your marriage. Okay? There is oftentimes in Scripture, um, we're encouraged in the face of sin to stand strong right? Stand up underneath um, the weight of temptation. The Lord, um, the Lord will provide you a way out. The Lord will be your strength, your mighty right hand. He will be the cliff under which you can find refuge, right? Um, you know what the Bible says in, the, uh, in regards to sexual sin? Sin that has as its base some kind of sexual component, a desire to, to enter into a, a, a physical relationship with someone else the bible says unequivocally that in the face of sexual sin we should not stand up underneath the the, the temptation of it and just kind of weather the storm that we should freaking flee literally uses the word flee flee from sexual immorality run as fast as you can run as fast as you can as far as you can go with like run run boundaries listen married people boundaries are incredibly important when you're talking about relationships with people of the opposite sex who are not your spouse Boundaries are incredibly important. Um, no private conversations. No, conver no conversation that is not 100% accessible to my wife. That is, not, that is not in the midst of other relationships. No reason. Zero reason. Um, no unaccountable time. Man, for like four hours the other day, no one knew what I was doing or where I was or what I was, what I was spending my time doing. That's dangerous. Free time's not dangerous, okay? Unaccountable time is dangerous. When you put yourself in situations where you are not accountable to anyone, where you can do what you want with your time, right? The enemy will use that as a lever, Man, I need like another 30 minutes. We won't go that far, but we'll get there a little bit. Um, I do want to get to this. That, the, um, that one of the goals of Satan is to foster distrust between you and your partner. Between you and your husband, you and your wife. Distrust 
Um, this is distrust. Yeah, this right here. <laughs> this is your marriage. Right? And, um, and like, uh, every, every opportunity that the enemy can have, right, to take, uh, to take that wedge and hit it a little bit further, right? And then, um, because what, it, what, what distrust actually does is that, is that Satan uses a person's natural insecurities and brings them to the surface every chance he gets. And, and that naturally creates a culture of distrust to your partner. Even if they've, they may have done something, but they may not have. But, but what Satan does is he, he plays a little switcheroo game where he makes you not trusting them, not about something that they've done, but about some natural insecurity that you have. And every time that comes up, And it happens again. And again. Tim Lugin said that I'd never split this because it was a piece of ash. But um, I'm not going to try to do it either. But, <laughs> um, but the point, you know, the point remains, right? That every single little thing is just one more. Wedge to split apart. My biggest fear this morning was that I was going to miss that and make a fool out of myself, and I kind of did. So, um, uh, listen. I wrote this down because um, the Lord was really working this particular point into my into my own life this week. Um, fostering distrust. Sometimes I do stupid things, right? Sometimes I do stupid things, and I break the trust of my wife. That, that happens. That will happen. You will, you will do stupid things, right? And, and trust will be compromised, and sometimes trust will be broken, all right? The beautiful thing about the gospel is that, is that in, the, in the power of Jesus Christ, even the broken things are brought back to whole. And just like a bone that is broken when it heals and heals under the right and perfect conditions, it's stronger than it was before. And sometimes you're going to do stupid things, okay? And, and what, what Satan is going to do to foster distrust, even though Jesus is bringing healing and wholeness back into your marriage, is he's going he's gonna to drudge up and remind both of you of the things that you did to break that trust long after you have both said, I forgive you. Because what, what does Satan want us to believe? Remember, Satan, when he, when he speaks, he lies. Lying is his native tongue, right? Satan wants us to believe that the things that you've forgiven your spouse for are things that you should still hold on to. Well, I forgave them for that, but I remember what they did. And uh, just because I forgive them uh, doesn't mean I have to move past them. Right? Not true. Right? If God gives us the example of what forgiveness is, right? It says, it says in Scripture that when God forgives us, he removes us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. 
He takes our sin and he places them at the bottom of the deepest ocean, right? Distrust is fostered when Satan is able to use those things that you have forgiven your spouse for as moments to like drudge up again, bring them back to the surface. Well, I, I remember when that happened and because I remember when that happened, it's probably going to happen again. And if, it, if, if I see this thing happening and I see this thing happen, then uh, I don't know. I, I don't feel really good about this whole thing. And uh, um, is that really loud out there? Um, fostering distrust is distrust is a wedge. Do not allow Satan Uh, Last and finally, I know, thank you so much for your patience. That uh, fourth is in divide and conquer. Encourage meaningless expenditure that reduces the ability to mobilize elsewhere. Um, We get really busy with life. Things become different priorities, right? Uh, Probably, uh, I would say, you know, there's, there's two main things that we spend our time on, spend our resources on, spend our mental, emotional, physical, spiritual energy on uh, when we're married and have a family. It's either our job or our kids, right? And we make, I talked about this last, last week, we make excuses about how, how good and important it is for us to pour our whole lives into our kids. But then our kids are grown and gone and out of the house and we look at our spouse and we realize we just spent 25 years of our lives not knowing each other. And so here we are, and you're a stranger, and you live in my, own, in my own house. And the enemy wants nothing more than to encourage you to spend tremendous amounts of energy and time and resources pouring into something, right, that is not as important as your marriage. Your children are not as important as your relationship with your spouse. They are not. And every time you treat them as more important, you hurt them. You don't help them. You hurt them because you hurt your relationship with your husband or wife. Right? Work does the same way. Man, I, uh, I put 80 hours in today. I work, or 80 hours this week. I worked so hard. Man, I... Providing for my family and doing a great job. No, man. You're not providing for your family. You're stealing from them. You're stealing from them. You're stealing the most important parts of you. You're stealing the most important thing that you could give them. You're, you're stealing from yourself. You're, you're allowing the enemy to destroy, use you to destroy your marriage. Listen, spend time with your spouse every week. Every week. Like non, um, non-distracted time. No phone time. No, no kid time. You, you and your spouse, foster that relationship. Build that relationship. Grow that relationship. Go out to dinner. Go to the movies. Have sex. Spend time together. Yeah. Amen, Vinny. Sorry, Carol. The movies, right, yeah. 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 Carol went running. Can't take that guy anywhere. Seriously, though? Do that, too. Because the physical act that made you one will keep you one. 
the, the, the physical act that brings you together in the eyes of the Lord as two people becoming one will, will strengthen that relationship, will, will solidify that relationship. And um, I'll, t- I'll tell you the truth, as a clo- <laughs> the closing line will be about sex, okay? Um, is that oftentimes in, in when, I, when I'm working with couples who are, who, whose marriages are struggling, and I ask them, are, are, you, are you having sex with each other? Haven't for months or years even. Number one prescription at that moment. Right? Because there is a mysterious, spiritual dynamic that happens when two become one in the sharing of flesh. It's not an accident. It's not an accident. It is a gift of God that brings you and binds you and and cements you together. Do not neglect it. It is so important. So important. Um let me pray to close us as the worship team is coming up. Lord, uh, man, there's just so much, Lord, that could be here. So much, Lord, that uh, you desire us to know and to feel and to implement and to apply, Lord. And um, Lord, where I have failed, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would succeed. Lord, may you, um, may you speak the truth about oneness in marriage to each and every one of us, married or unmarried. Lord, may we be alert and aware of the enemy's devices to divide us. Lord, and at every moment, every opportunity that we get a chance, Lord, Make us more and more one with our spouse. In Jesus' name, amen.